Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Now Jesus says, Not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? And done many wonderful things in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Let's pray. Father, we pray that your word would be clear and accurate and, and accomplish eternal purposes that you have for us even gathering here tonight. The eternal purpose that Jesus had when he first gave this message over 2,000 years ago. Lord, he shared so many things in Matthew's chapter 5 and 6 and all throughout 7. And now, nearing the end of this sermon, he brings about this intensity of, of a subject. And I pray that we would have ears to hear what Holy Spirit wants to say to us tonight. Grant that, Lord, I pray. Amen. For those who enter the kingdom of heaven, they are the ones who do the will of God. The will of the Father. And it's not enough to use God's name or even His power or authority even to the point of doing miracles. He made that so clear in this statement. Jesus is emphasizing we must have a personal relationship with Him that results in righteous living. Salvation is all about relationship. It's all about relationship. And we're judged according to the fruit of our lives, as we've seen in the last five verses, not according to the great things that we've done, quote, in Jesus' name, unquote. And the people referred to in verse 22, they were instruments of God's healing and God's miraculous power, but an instrument is not necessarily a servant. And from God's perspective, a servant is one who has given up his personal rights and fully surrendered them to the Lord. And as we see in verse 23, these people still practiced lawlessness. Now what is lawlessness? It's a state of disorder due to a disregard of the law. So in not submitting to the laws of God, these people chose to be a law unto themselves. Refusing his lordship, they were lord of their own lives. So Jesus, or saying Jesus is lord is one thing, but living under his lordship is very different. And referring to Matthew 7, 22, <clears throat> God reserves the right to choose 
whomever he pleases. And he displays his power as he chooses to dispense that as well. It's God's prerogative. Consider 1 Samuel chapter 10. Before Saul was crowned king of Israel, he was still a virtually an unknown. But God caused him to prophesy with the camp of the prophets, which was an incredible privilege, a great honor. One of the highest honors of the land is to be prophesying with the prophets back in those days. We find that in John chapter 11, we see that God used Caiaphas, the high priest who was corrupt, to prophesy Jesus' death. God can use anyone or anything. In Luke 9, we read that a man who was not with Jesus and his disciples had the power to cast out demons. In fact, some of the disciples got a little jealous. And in Numbers 22, 28, the Lord opened the mouth of a donkey and literally spoke to Balaam. So what we see and what we can learn is that God can use anyone or anything he desires. Jesus said it is even possible for the rocks to cry out. Wow, what a stretch of an imagination. But if Jesus said it, it is possible. That's how great our God is. But he wants us to realize that he's not looking for gifting or usefulness. He looks for value. I'm going to repeat that. God is not looking for gifts or giftings or, or even availability of usefulness. He's always looking for value. An example. Let's say I had a chalice here that was made out of 24 karat gold. Solid gold. In the form of a chalice. And we passed it around and had communion. All drinking out of the cup. Having the wonders of, of communion and allowing the Lord to really speak deeply would be a holy moment for the use of that chalice. But you could also place that chalice on a shelf and it would not depreciate because it was not in use. God is looking for value, not just usefulness. He can use anyone. He can use anything. What he's looking for, he, she, is of value to me. And you can, that chalice would be of value if it was on the shelf for six months and never moved. In fact, it would probably even appreciate even when it's not being used. I want us to read, turn with me if you were to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1, Paul brings out this aspect of how even the gospel can be preached by a wide assortment of different types of people. Verses 15 through 18, Philippians 1. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, Supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense 
of the gospel. God honors his word even when it is preached with wrong motives. In the 70s, before I ever preached my first message, I really admired and appreciated a young man, actually he was a couple of years younger than me, but he was one of the most dynamic evangelists I'd ever heard of. To this day, I don't think I've ever laughed so hard as when he preached. And I've never cried so hard when I heard him preach another time. He had such a gifting, and I so appreciated that gifting that uh, I asked him if I, if I could travel with him and just uh, be his Timothy. Whatever he would need, I would just uh, come along and help him. And I remember we started traveling together and I was amazed at the gift of God flowing through this young man. But I also saw another side of him that I hadn't really seen before. And I saw it starting to go worse and worse that he felt more and more freedom with me that I can remember after about two months of traveling with him on and off, not every weekend, but maybe about every other or every third weekend after several months. I remember we were in a local church with several hundred people in a congregation in Indiana. And afterwards, we went back to the motel and all of a sudden he says, wait, let's stop off at a 7-Eleven. He went in and got a two six packs of beer, ordered a pizza, and just said, let's party. And I, sadly enough, I, I had a couple of beers, ate the pizza, but I'll never forget on the way home how God so impressed upon me that this is the wrong way. I had never preached a message yet, and this was the wrong example. It was a snowy day on Highway 94, I-94, and I was driving my car, and we ended up going sideways, and a semi-tractor truck hit us, and the cab came over onto the car. Neither of us were injured other than a scratch on his hand. But I felt God say, stop right now. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Be not deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Boy, did I ever have to repent before God of uh, wanting usefulness, wanting ministry. And yet the wrong motives, and I'm so thankful God stopped me even before I ever preached the first message. That's not the way to go. Don't be looking for that. Look for a time of just looking to honor me and my name. In Matthew 7, 23, Jesus said, I never knew you. What strong words. Commentator Arthur Pink and others believe that the people referred to in this verse were never really truly born again. They were like some modern churchgoers who never repent and receive the true salvation that comes as a result of true repentance. And the phrase never knew you implies that God did not know them personally. They had never surrendered 
fully to the Lord. The same understanding is seen in Psalm 1-6 with the phrase, For the Lord knows the ways of the righteous. Implying that God knows intimately and approves the way of the righteous. Now some suggest that Jesus was referring to believers who are disobedient and rebellious. And even though they call Jesus Lord, they do not do what he says. Those who practice lawlessness are those who go their own way, really wanting to have their own desires fulfilled, and they end up doing that which is right in their own eyes. They place their agenda and their pleasure and their plans before the commands, the plans and the pleasure of God. Simply put, they do not live out their confession of submission to his lordship. And the Greek word for new in Matthew 7.23 is the word genosko. Very simple word. Let's all say it. Genosko. Genosko. That's a great Greek word to know. Genosko. It refers to knowing through experience, perceiving through the senses, and it means a personal encounter. Personal experience, perceiving through the senses, a genuine knowing. And it means to know through an active relationship, through a personal interaction, and through growing levels of intimacy. So what is the Lord saying here? He's saying to this group, I never had an active, intimate relationship with you. We did not interact on a personal level. I did not see and I did not hear you. And the same Greek word is found at the heart of John 17, 3. This is eternal life, Jesus said, that they might know thee, Father, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. There's Genosko. Genosko, this is eternal life that they might genosko. They might know. They might know. They might genosko God the Father. Genosko, knowing God the Son. And it's by God the Holy Spirit that we grow in genosko knowing of both our Father and His Son, Jesus. This is eternal life. Jesus gives us the simple definition of what it is knowing God. In Isaiah 6, 8, God was saying in heaven, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Now because Isaiah had a relationship with God, when he heard this universal call, now imagine this, God's in heaven, but Isaiah in his sensitivity hears it. God speaks, who will go for us? This is how I imagine it. Who will I send? And Isaiah went, here I am. Actually, he put the I last. Here am I. Send me. Send me. Mm.
I sense in a similar way God is calling out right now. Who will come to me? Who will have personal, intimate fellowship with me? There's a universal call going out of God longing to bring the earth to himself, and especially his church to himself, his people. But only those who are sensitive will be able to hear the call and say, here am I. I'll come. I'll come. The Lord loves us. He wants us to come to him. And because God is relational, he desires a close relationship and fellowship with each and every one of us. But the question is, do we feel the same about him? Do we have that same longing desire that he has for us? Do we have that for him? I want you to listen to the heart of a man after God's heart. One of my most favorite. I just love David. In Psalm 139, he says, Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. Lord, you know what I'm going to say even before I say it. That's the revelation of God that David had. How much more should we have now that we have Jesus? But if we are not intimate, we will not know. We will not genosco. God says through the prophet Isaiah, uh, prophet Jeremiah 23, am I a God who is only close at hand? Says the Lord, no. I am far away at the same time. Can anyone hide from me in a secret place? Am I not everywhere in all the heavens and in all the earth? Says the Lord. Nothing escapes his notice. Nothing under the sun. Let God expand your imagination of how great he is. He's far greater than all of us combined can imagine. Far beyond that. Part of my prayer continues, Lord, expand my heart to know you more. That's eternal life. Knowing. Knowing. Friends, the Lord knows each of us so intimately. Absolutely nothing escapes his notice. Now, maybe the issue is not so much if God sees and knows us, but if we see and know him in all that we do. Proverbs 3, 6 says, In all your ways. How many of our ways? In all, not just the big decisions, 
not just the crises that you're facing, not just for the healing in your body, but in all your ways. Acknowledge Him. And He will direct your paths. So do we acknowledge Him in all of our ways? The Hebrew word for ways is the word derech or derek. It means a road, a course, or a mode of action. So in all of our actions, on every course that we take, we are to acknowledge God. What's so beautiful is that if we do that, we get a promise. He will direct our paths. He will give us direction. If we invite him in, he comes. The Hebrew word for acknowledge is the word yada, meaning to know by observation or investigation or firsthand experience. And the highest level of yada is direct, intimate contact. And this refers to life giving intimacy as in marriage. So in a spiritual context, it suggests an intimacy with God in relational prayer, not just formal prayer, but throughout the day. Lord, I need your help here. Lord, I need your wisdom here. What would you want me to do? What would you want me to say? What choice do I make? It's acknowledging him in more of our ways than we are doing presently. He promises to direct our paths toward fruitful endeavors. What a God. If we're acknowledging him in all our ways, it's going to conceive and give birth to his will and his promises. I will guide you. I will order your steps and direct your path. In Matthew 7, 23, Jesus speaks to the lawless ones. And the relationship with God that he wants with us is one of intimacy that is energized by obedience. He wants intimacy that is, that is energized by obedience. So what is the point of worshiping the Lord all day long in song and yet still living a life of compromise and deliberate sin? 1 Samuel 15.22 says to obey is better than sacrifice. King Saul's rebellion against God's authority, it cost him the kingdom. And that is a warning to us. We must repent of all rebellion and choose to submissively obey God's word to us. His personal word. He's a personal savior. Personal God. Or we're going to forfeit God's kingdom rule in our lives. So again, another question is, who is really king in our lives? Well, when we face the king on judgment day, at the judgment seat of Christ for every believer, his confession of knowing us will be dependent upon our embracing his righteousness and having known him intimately. 2 Timothy 2.19 says, The Lord knows those who are his. 
He has genosco with them. He has intimacy with those that he knows. They're his. He knows them. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Now the Greek word for iniquity means a pattern of wrongdoing in character, action, or lifestyle. Being unjust, immoral, or unrighteous. We prove our relationship with Jesus by refusing evil. 1 John 1, 6 says, If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. The spirits of darkness are drawn to those who live in rebellion and do not practice or live the truth. But the Lord is drawn to those who are obedient to him. He's attracted to obedience. He loves obedience. Our obedience establishes our friendship with the Lord. The Lord said this in John 15, 14. He said, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Now we don't hear this too often. But friendship with Jesus is conditional. It's not an automatic. It's an acquired intimacy that is developed through obeying his commands. Now we might say, what a friend we have in Jesus. He might be our friend, but are we really his? His condition for genuine friendship is obedience. I call you my friends, and the conditional word if comes in there. If you do what I say. May the Lord help us to really be his friends. I want you to listen to the opening verses of Isaiah 66, uh, verses 1 and 2 from the New Living Translation. The prophet said, this is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that? Could you build me a resting place such as this? My hands have made both heaven and earth. They are mine. And everything in them is mine. Everything. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts and who tremble at my word. But those who choose their own ways, delighting in their detestable sins, will not have their offerings accepted. The one who trembles at his word will quickly obey the Lord. It's a joy to obey. The, the more we obey, the greater joy there is. And God is looking for people who yearn to walk in obedience. As believers, we should delight in doing His will. Our heart's confession should be like that of King David expressed in Psalm 40, verse 8. I delight to do your will, O oh my God. 
and your law is within my heart. John 5.30 says, I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. So as a result of our private and our corporate worship and fellowship with God, we do learn to delight in obeying his commands. And a relational friendship grows. I've anguished at times when I have broken that friendship by deliberate acts of not doing things that are pleasing. When we avoid intimacy with him, we find it easier to sin or easier to compromise. I'm thankful that God's a God of of forgiveness who cleanses all of our unrighteousness. But as we go our own way into sin or disobedience, our love toward the Lord can easily grow cold, making it easy for us to compromise even further. But it's our love for the Lord, our love for God, and our fear of Him that will keep us seeking God and obeying Him. Therefore, cultivating a love relationship with the Father should be our highest priority. The Sermon on the Mount is meant to cultivate that growing, that intimate relationship with Almighty God the Father. I want you all to turn with me to Psalm 5. Psalm 5 is such a great psalm. Remember years ago, there was a wonderful song that came out about this song, and it was very popular on Christian radio and singing in fellowships and churches. Psalm 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for unto you will I pray. My voice shall you hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct my prayer to you, and I will look up. King David had an upward look right in the first part of the day. These first three verses, they encourage us to seek God early in the morning. I think I've shared with you in the past. Get into the habit of when you first wake in the morning, as soon as your eyes open, start committing the day to the Lord. Right there, before your feet hit the ground. Looking up to him and speaking to him. This is King David. It's a heart of a man who's after God's heart who will do all of God's will. It implies childlike trust in God and dependence upon him. Then look at verses 4 through 6. It reveals God's rejection of those who do evil and choose iniquity. And then in verse 7, we see the heart of the psalmist again. He chose to embrace God's mercy, enter his presence, and worship the Lord in a holy fear of him. Following his worship of God, David asks for guidance to walk in the Lord's righteous ways in verse 8. And this is a good pattern for us to follow. We should seek the Lord early each day by engaging in prayer. That's a a beautiful prayer that's informal right there from your bed. Talk with him all throughout the day. He loves informal prayer. 
Ask for guidance to walk in his righteous ways. What a wonderful pattern David gives us. And in a holy fear of God, we should pray for guidance to choose his ways all throughout our days. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 3 says, But anyone who loves God, this one is known by him. And as important as it is to do wonders in Jesus' name, or even to cast out demons, which is vital and necessary, it is far more important that he knows us. So we must set aside time regularly to interact with the Father intimately and to allow him to see us and hear our voice. We must determine to depart from all iniquity. To choose to walk in his ways rather than in our own. And I, along with all of you, we all need the Holy Spirit helper, all of us, to be able to stay on the right track throughout every day, all day. Let's not put the Lord in a position in which he would have to say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Rather instead, let's live in such a way that he will say, well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant, enter into the joy, the endless, abounding, exceedingly glorious joy of your Lord. Let's pray. If you're able, I would just ask if you could simply go to your knees as an act of humility before our God. We want him to cleanse any pattern of iniquity, any pattern, set pattern that is displeasing to God. Every willful sin where we have grieved his spirit. We are all sinners, but we're saved by his grace. And Lord, we just ask you to just cleanse us tonight, Lord. The, the fear of God comes to us when we hear these strong words that you say that we looked at tonight. Lord, we choose to obey your commands. We choose obedience. We choose you, Lord. Tonight we choose to know you. We want to genosco our God. This is eternal life. That we might genosco, we might know our God, Father. We might know intimately Jesus. And Lord, any area in our hearts where we have not fully surrendered, God, tonight is a night of fresh surrender. Would you take this offering, the areas of hard-heartedness, that area of secret sin, that thing that we just keeps nagging us, that thing that keeps pulling us back rather than allowing us to go forward. Tonight, Lord, we say, deliver us from evil. We cry out in, in that prayer that Jesus, you gave us. Our Father, who art in heaven, 
Holy and hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come in our lives, Lord. Your kingdom come, your will be done in the earth that we occupy just as it is in heaven. And Lord, thank you for giving us bread tonight. We pray you forgive us, Lord, of all of our, all of our trespasses, every element of iniquity. Lord, at the same time, we choose to forgive. We want forgiveness to just flow like a river from our hearts. Even the hard ones, those especially, we choose to forgive tonight, Lord. Because if we do not forgive, we will not be forgiven. We pray that, Lord, you wouldn't lead us into temptation. We pray that our patterns that would lead us back toward iniquity would be broken tonight in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray the blood of the Lamb to break every connection with bondage to iniquity patterns of the past. And we declare that we're fresh and made alive and made new. We are new creations. An entirely new Connell's creation in God because of the blood of the Lamb. So Lord, we pray you strengthen and increase the word of our testimony that we can testify to your goodness, to your greatness, to your majesty, to your wonder, to your awe. To the power of your blood saving us and delivering us from all evil and breaking every bond of iniquity. Thank you that you're that great of a God who's constantly looking for greater and more intimate relationship with those who are called by your name. Thank you for calling us, Jesus. Thank you that you called us just like you did to the disciples. Come, follow me. Lord, I pray that uh, we would be birthed into a, uh, a desire for a greater intimacy with you on a daily basis. I pray we, we would all acknowledge you more tomorrow than we did today. We want to acknowledge you. King David said, in all of your ways, oh God, I pray that it would but at least start to increase that praise, we pray, Lord. We want to acknowledge you in a whole lot more ways than we have been. We want to invite you into our lives all throughout the day, not just at that point of salvation. We want to welcome the leading of your spirit, not just when we have big decisions, but all throughout our days. So Lord, take these offerings tonight offerings of our lives in a new and fresh way. Take the surrender of our hearts. To this one will I look. To him who is of a humble heart who trembles at my word. And Jesus, we do that tonight, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it's alive in us.
We pray that your word would accomplish all of its eternal purposes and ultimate destiny at work in each of us to the glory of God. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Uh,